The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Psalm 50. Psalm 50, and this is taken in connection with what God requires or what God forbids in the Eighth Commandment where he declares, you shall not steal. The mighty one, the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you to pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Today in particular we'll be focusing on verses 7 to 15 of that passage. And so in connection with that as well, we will be reading from Lord's Day 42, which you'll be able to find on page 557 of your book of praise. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? You shall not steal. God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, 
deal with him as I would like others to deal with me and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, do you notice anything interesting about our Lord's Day today? Our Lord's Days on the Ten Commandments have the very same pattern that we find laid out for us by Jesus Christ in Scripture. All of them don't just have a negative thing that is forbidden, but it also points us towards a positive thing. This leads us according to the patterns of the teachings of Jesus Christ, in which he was very clear to his followers that life wasn't just about not doing the wrong things. Life wasn't just about not breaking laws. If this is your only way of looking at the Bible, it can lead to legalism, half-hearted obedience, or a false sense of security. But what Christ teaches us is that God wants the hearts of his people. So what does that look like here? Most of us here today know that theft is wrong. Robbery is wrong. You see on the news a man breaking into a bank and you say, that's wrong. Most of us here would say the same thing about what is called wicked schemes and devices by our catechism. False weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, which is selling something, saying that it's better than it actually is. Counterfeit money and usury, which is lending money with a wicked rate of interest. These things are wrong. And the government agrees. That is why so much of what's described here is very strictly regulated But is that where it stops? If I'm simply a good law-abiding citizen according to what the government says, am I okay before God? Well, we have a basic idea of what the grand designer, our God and Father, does not want for our lives. But the problem is that many Christians today stop there. Today, let's look together at the question of what does God require of our lives? Not just in light of what have we been saved from, but what have we been saved for? And today, we'll look at that in light of our passage under the following theme and points. You shall not steal, but you shall give. First of all, the one who owns it all. And second, the one for whom I am a steward. So the first question that might arise in your mind right now is, why is God so interested in our physical things anyways? Doesn't the Bible teach us that God is spirit? Can't I just pray once in a while, promise to give my soul to him and leave it at that? Why is he so interested in what I have? God is interested in what we have because He wants us to recognize who gave it to us in the first place. The problem was that after the fall into sin, man's perspective on this has changed and it has remained that way. More and more, man began to see the things that he has around him as mine, my rights. This belongs to me and I can do what I want with it. This was something that was a serious problem at the time of the writing of Psalm 50, which we read this afternoon. People were saying, it's a burden to do sacrifices. 
But you know what? I'm going to give sacrifices anyways, as long as I get something out of it. This is something that we see in society today as well, especially in the prosperity gospel. But we also see it in our own hearts from time to time. We'll find this attitude rising up. If I give something to God, then I expect something back from God. This is a transaction. God, I give, and then you give. But wait a moment, God says in response to his people here in Psalm 50. He says in verses 7 and 8 that he has... He's not going to rebuke them for their sacrifices, but it's for the way in which they bring forward their sacrifices that he takes issue. What need do I have to get what you have, he says. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. The world is mine. You are mine. I created you. And everything that I have given you to care for is actually mine. I don't need your sacrifices. You see, these people in Israel were being influenced by the pagan practices of the world around them. There was this idea that the gods are hungry and thirsty. To keep them fed on sacrificed meat and to keep them from being thirsty by giving them blood to drink, pouring out the blood of bulls and goats, this was a surefire way to get into their good books. But God says, that's just not the way that this works. God was not a God like those other nations. Besides the fact that those gods of other nations were not gods at all, there was the idea behind it that I can punish God by withholding sacrifices. That way he will be hungry. But God responds to this in verse 12. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. If it were possible for me to be hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? God is saying to his people here, you seem to be forgetting that I am God. I'm not dependent on you. And that's a good thing for us to remember as well. God isn't dependent on us. And when we are reflecting on what we give to him, it's not as a favor to him, but it's acknowledging that it already belongs to him. And so he offers us two truths for those who believe, for those who live within his covenant and believe in him and lean on him in the verses 14 and 15. In verse 14, he says, Offer to God thanksgiving. And pay your vows to the Most High. This is a simple statement of fact. He is God. Treat him like God. Give him the glory that is due to him. If you've made promises, fulfill them. If you've received gifts from him, thank him for that. Take a moment right now and just inhale. Hold that and then let it out. What have you done? One way to look at it is 
that you've taken a breath. Another way is to recognize that you haven't taken anything. God has given you another breath. Everything that you have and everything that you are is from God. Thank him for that. Second in verse 15, we read, Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Here is another simple statement of fact. If you are a believer, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Notice what's not there. A word that's connecting it to what just came before. Calling on God is not dependent on what I offer him. Calling on God and expecting him to answer is not something that I do because I happen to give him a little bit more of what is already his than the next person did. And so he owes me one. No, I call on him because he is God. Both are facts. He is God, so treat him like God. Give thank offerings to him. He is God, so treat him like God. Call on him in the day of your trouble. But don't try to make one depend on the other. Don't try to force him to give you things by giving him things. Now, maybe that's something that we don't do too often. To try force God to give us things by giving him things. But here's another that might strike a little closer to home. Don't get angry with him when he doesn't allow life to go the way you want, even after all that you have given him. Because if you do, God has just revealed to you that the piece of what was already his, that you gave back to him, came with strings attached. You are the person who has lent 50 bucks and then gifted the person who lent you 50 bucks $5 and told them, now you owe me because I was generous to you. No, God is God. Everything is already his. And so treat him as God. When you give to him, remember that you give back what is his as your acknowledgement that it already belongs to him. Give back to him with thankfulness in your heart that he made it possible for you to do this. And this brings us to our second point, the one for whom I am a steward. Recognizing that everything belongs to God in the first place means that what we do with it is a big deal. When God first created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he made them stewards. A steward is somebody who is placed over something that somebody else owns. So in the ancient world, it would be a homeowner who set someone as steward over his house, over his property. And this steward would control some of the finances of the estates. The steward would control the running of the estate. And if the steward was doing a good job, the whole estate would run smoothly. The whole household would run smoothly. In the same way, God made Adam and Eve stewards, which is to say overseers of everything that he has created. He gave them the world. 
and their only reason for being on the planet was to live on this world, to cultivate it, to turn the whole world into a garden, all to the glory of God. What does that mean? Just like when children draw pictures for their parents to stick in a place of honor on the fridge, man's purpose on earth was to see what God had given him to work the earth and to say, see God, I did this for you because I love you and I want to glorify you. His purpose was to bring glory to God's name by what he did. God gave them dominion over the creatures in the world around them. They were to care for creation, to nurture it, and in some small way mirror his creative work by their own work on this earth. He entrusted them with a lot. He entrusts us with a lot. Everything we have, in fact. So the idea out there that God is more interested in our spiritual walk But when it comes to worldly things, to physical things, that he doesn't show much interest at all is quite different from what our God teaches. Take 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 10 for a moment. There's a whole list of sins that are here, but I'm going to pick out a few in particular. We read there, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither thieves nor covetous, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. This shows us a principle. God is very concerned with how we deal with earthly things and how we look at earthly things. And he doesn't just limit it to theft or extortion, but even coveting, even wanting something that belongs to someone else. Why? Because what we possess What we have does not come to us by chance. God is the one who gave us what we have. That means that any taking of what someone else has or setting a covetous eye on what someone else has is a rejection of what God has divinely chosen us and them to have. We are rejecting God's decision to place us where we are in this life. And this has a ripple effect Luke 16 verse 10 teaches us this principle with Christ's proverb, whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. The way we incline our hearts on the little things will have an impact on how we look at the rest of life as well. Now, does this mean we shouldn't strive to improve our situation in life? Of course not. As in the parable of the five talents, we should work diligently with what God has given us. But an increase in wealth and possessions shouldn't be the main thing that drives our lives. What drives our lives is working to the best of our ability for the glory of God as good stewards of what he has given us. The glory of God above all else. Our catechism's list of sins reflects this as well. Greed, abuse, squandering of God's gifts are forbidden by God because it shows discontentment or irresponsibility with what God has given us. Our focus is not meant to be on the things of this earth. Can we be saddened if something doesn't work out the way that he wanted it to? 
Say we had hoped to buy a home or maybe a bigger home than the one we have and it didn't work out the way that we had desired. Yes, we can be saddened by that. But then we also need to accept this as coming from God's hand as well. And pray to him that he would grant us contentment where we're at. Christ himself talks about this as well when he says in Luke 12 verse 15, a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. So what is to be the way that we look at possessions? What is the way to be that we reflect on the things that we have in life? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a shockingly countercultural message on this point. In Ephesians 4, verse 28, he writes, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, with what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Notice two things here. First, he talks about working with his hands, with what is good. This isn't a demand that everyone should have a blue-collar job. But the main point here is that we should be involved in worthwhile pursuits, not frivolously frittering away our time, but being involved in what is good. But secondly, and more importantly, he calls his people not just to labor, but to labor so that he may have something to give to him who has need. Yes, Food is important. But after that, what is your focus? Is it the abundance of your possessions? Or is it the desire to be able to be a blessing to others? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 19-21. Being a blessing to others and loving your neighbor through looking after their needs is being brought to recognize true riches, heavenly treasures. Brother, sister, think about that for a moment. Where is your heart at? Relationships aside, where is your heart? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. God has given you much. You are his steward over what he has given you. And now he is looking at you and saying, Child, everything you have is mine. Everything you have is what I have given to you. Now, as my steward, what will you do with what I have given to you? Not beyond what you've been given, but with what you've been given. Everyone has been given something. What will you do? Ah, we all fall short there, don't we? Well, we may not be thieves, none of us have been perfect stewards. 
None of us have perfectly carried out God's will when it came to how we can best use everything that we have been given in his kingdom. But God's call gives us a moment to reevaluate, to humble ourselves, to repent of our self-centeredness when it came to what we called our stuff. But here's where the news of 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 is good. We read there, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither, and then out of that list, thieves, nor covetous, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But then it goes on. And such were some of you. But you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Our Lord Jesus Christ has washed us, has made us holy, has declared us righteous in the eyes of God. And so we are set free from the weight of sin. And we are set free from an empty life of pursuing things on this earth. Things that will rust, that will wear out, and that will fade. Through Christ, we're able to rise above those who spend their days keeping up with the Joneses, always looking over their neighbor's fence to see what he has and if we want something like it, too. We're lifted up from that and we're given an eternal perspective, a kingdom perspective, because our treasures are in heaven. We are able to live like no one else. This is what our Lord Jesus Christ gives us. Amen.